Friends, if you will turn in your Bibles, and please be seated. We will uh, read Psalm 27 tonight. It's a Psalm of David. Again, listen now to the Lord's word. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life, whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. This is the Lord's word. Would you bow with me as we seek the Lord's blessing? Again, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for these wonderful hymns that we can sing and the prayer that we offer as we cry once again to you for your help. We ask that you would come and be present with us by your spirit and that the light of heaven would shine upon us in our hearts and in our minds to prepare, to equip, to encourage, to strengthen, to admonish, to do, Father, those things which are pleasing to you, which are for your glory and for our good. Would you bless this servant and bless these your people who join from afar and also who sit here in this building. And Father, would you cause us to grow in our knowledge of you? Would you cause us, Lord, to grow in our confidence in you? Knowing that the things we we say and we look at are not those intended to puff up the brain. They are not given in order to dull the senses, but they are given in order that we might truly rest, knowing, Lord, that you do care and love your people very dearly. We thank you for this time, and we ask, again, your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen. There is no lack of adversity in the world. Uh, people who dog you, behaviors, dog your behaviors, uh, dog your words, persecutions such as we read on a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis, regarding our brothers and sisters and their experiences overseas, being persecuted by governments, being imprisoned in jail. David here has written a psalm. And as we, I like to point out to you, because I think it is so helpful, uh, the Psalms are Israel's creed sung. 
And uh, our brother Charlie mentioned last week how much he enjoys the Psalms. And I thought it's, it's really true. Where can you go where the word of God and the theology of the scriptures are put to song? And as everyone knows, it's those little songs, it's those songs that stay in your mind. That's why, in part, why we are singing psalms in the morning now, trying to in, include these things so that they're in our mind and so that we remember them. Because in times of adversity, the very thing we want to do is we want to go back to the Lord. We want our minds to be taken back to the Lord. Commentators are uncertain why David wrote this psalm. They don't know the historical background to this psalm. Um, but we do know that he was facing adversity. It's, it's quite plain from the text. He speaks of adversaries. He speaks of evildoers who have been out, uh, gone out to devour his flesh, enemies of being forsaken, of false witnesses rising up against him, and those who would breathe out violence. The psalm is timeless. The scriptures are timeless. These things are timeless, as we were hearing this morning in Sunday school regarding Philippians. And I think it was our brother John who points out, you know, the scriptures, these are really timeless things. Uh, these things continue to come up, and it's really quite true. You know, when, so when people speak of the, the Bible being antiquated and outdated, I say, you're clearly not bothering to read your Bible because there is nothing new under the sun, as Solomon wrote. The same problems, the same struggles that have plagued mankind continue to plague mankind, and we find the scriptures to be that source of truth and light, uh, that direction for us. Psalm 27 is for bolstering the Lord's people, for bolstering us in our confidence as we wait on the Lord to deliver us in the face of adversity. The question we look at tonight is how do we handle uh, adversaries? How do we handle these things? How do we bother, how do we try to encourage others who are dogged by enemies, sadly, Oftentimes, we don't handle, I don't handle adversity very well. Usually, it amounts to self-pity. Usually, it amounts to feeling like I alone am suffering and I should pray and my prayers are like pebbles being dropped in an empty well. You're the only one who hears them and they accomplish nothing. And that's really quite a hopeless uh, place to be. And it should not be that way. The hope uh, that we have is grounded in the reality of who the Lord is. And that's, that's where we find the Psalms just second to none. They're, they're a blessing because they remind us who the Lord is, what the Lord does, and what the Lord said he is going to do. This Psalm begins with truth. Truth as a foundation for us all as we face adver adversity of various stripes. Whatever that adversity may be, we are called upon by David by the Spirit of God, to remember these truths. And, and just, I summarize them this way. We remember who the Lord is. We remember uh, what becomes of the enemies of the Lord. And we remember what our stance is in the Lord. So we begin by reading again verses 1 through 3. Listen to what David says. The prayer actually begins of this psalm in verse 7. So these first six verses, he's giving us background. He's reminding us of essential truth. Again, he says in verses 1 through 3, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries, and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. 
Though a host encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. The first thing he says concerning the Lord is that he is my light. The Lord is my light. Light, said one commentator, light is closely related to the ideas of life and happiness. Another commentator said, everything that is positive, from truth and goodness to joy and vitality, uh, this is what life would imply. Here, it is the answer to fear and to the forces of evil. Anyone who's ever watched children try to walk, navigate dark halls in a house, what do they do? They pat the wall until they find the light switch and they turn it on. That's, that's it. The Lord is light. Darkness would be the absence of all that is good. Darkness would be the absence of what is right and what is beautiful. Darkness would be tantamount to death and to sorrow. It's interesting that the gospel writer records, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour at the crucifixion of our Lord, as if the cosmos reeled in sorrow as a sinner uh, crucified his only hope. Isn't that interesting that at the crucifixion of our Lord, it was dark, sorrow, death. But the Lord is light. Isaiah speaks of a day that is coming, saying, No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. Light, life, happiness, blessedness. The Lord, says David, the Lord is my light, not merely in the future, but even now. He is all that is good, all that is related to life and happiness, to truth and goodness and blessedness. My friends, there is no better place for us to be, no greater place in all this world than to be the Lord's child. This is an important thing. The Lord is my light. When faced with adversity by adversaries, we remember the Lord is my light. He is my source of blessedness. And with the Lord on your side, what's, what's the, the natural response? If the Lord be for you, who can be against you? It's a great thing. He says he's not only my light, but he is also my salvation. He is the one who delivers us from distress uh, to safety. It is the Lord who delivers us from our enemies. We read tonight in Exodus 15, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will extol him. Here the Lord has delivered us uh, from our enemies. He has delivered us from death, says David. Um, we say he has delivered us from our sin, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Remember this. Remember, too, that the Lord is also called by David the defense of my life. He is the stronghold, the refuge, the one in whom my life remains safe. Truly, in the ultimate sense, he is the constant place of safety uh, for us. Again, as Paul would write in Romans 8, 
about tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and peril and sword. Again, what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? And the answer is nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ. And that's what that list is meant to remind us of. Nothing comes to us, my friends. Nothing comes to us except what our loving Father in heaven brings to us. Our adversaries may lock us up. They may find us. They may say nasty and untrue things about us. But they will never remove you from the the Father's hands. And so in adversity, we remember that the Lord is our light. We remember that he is our salvation and that he is our defense, the defense of our lives. And so we remember the Lord in the face of adversity. But second, we also remember what becomes of the enemies of the Lord, um, which are enemies of the Lord's people. In verse 2, we read, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries, and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Here David speaks of evildoers who are like a pack of of wolves, uh, of animals who are out to devour his flesh, quite intimidating. And he writes, they stumble, stumble and fell. Uh, Speaking of it in the past tense, uh, as if he is recounting things from the past of how the Lord delivered his people in the past. He speaks of their destiny. Truly, if the Lord is for us, who can be against us? What has happened to the enemies of the Lord? We read this in Exodus 15, the song of Moses. What happened to the Egyptians as they chased the Israelites through the Red Sea? God destroyed them. What happened with the Ammonites that we just read about in 1 Samuel 11? The Lord caused his fear to come upon the people and he delivered his people from the hands of their enemies. There was great rejoicing in Israel. We read this in in, uh, Psalm 9, verses 3 through 6, which states, When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you, for you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. Uh, Psalm 73, Psalm 37, all of these psalms and so many others speak of how the Lord deals with the enemies of his people and how he deals with the enemies. What happens when you are a follower of the Lord? And adversaries rise up against you. Is the Lord blind? Is he going to say, "Mm." (laughs) he doesn't do that. And we have a whole Bible full of instruction from the Lord of how he deals with his enemies. My friends, when these enemies abound, remember the enemies of the Lord, they ultimately will perish. They can and will only go and can only go as far as the Lord lets them. So we remember what happens with the enemies, and finally we remember our place, our stance in the Lord. When struggling with those whom you feel are out to hurt you, we must remember that the Lord means good to us all of our days, both now and forever. You are the Lord's. Notice in verse 1 what David says, and through verse 3, he says, Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? My heart will not fear Though a host, an army, encamps against me, even though war rise against me, what does he say? In spite of this, 
I shall be confident. He remembers who he is. Whose he is. He remembers that these people have no, no, no hope, no stance that they can hurt him beyond what the Lord has ordained. He is secure in the Lord and he fears nothing for himself. Of course, we remember Peter being in prison, sleeping between the prison guards. We remember Jesus who set his face towards Jerusalem and though it was a miserable and a terrible situation, he underwent. And yet, what was his confidence? That on the third day I will be raised. He faced that because his confidence was in the Lord. Again, he is secure. He is secure in the Lord and fears nothing for himself. He remembers He remembers who the Lord is. He re- remembers what the, the future of the enemies are and he remembers his stance and the fact that he has every right to be confident in the Lord who loves his people. But notice here, as he takes us into verses 4 through 6, he has us not only remember those things, but to remain focused upon the Lord. Verses 4 through 6. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies and around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. The best answer to distracting um, fears and the priorities within that purpose, said one commentator, you're ready for this, is a preoccupation with God's person and will. When you remember all of these things, the Lord is and what he does with enemies and our stance in the Lord, and we remain focused on the Lord, this is the best remedy for fighting adversaries, is to focus upon the Lord. It is the essence of worship. It is the essence of discipleship. It is to stay focused on the Lord. David says one thing that he has asked from the Lord That is what he would seek. He was single-minded. What was it that David desires above all else? Was it peace from enemies? Was it riches, glory, or comfort? No, it was none of those. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. In spite of his external circumstances, his focus remains upon the Lord. The man who remains focused on the Lord will not succumb to those trials. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 26.3, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. It's not that the man of God won't have trials. Um, Indeed, Jesus said in the world you will uh, have trials. Take courage, I have overcome the world. But he doesn't succumb to them. They won't be his undoing because his focus stays upon the Lord. David wants one thing, and that alone uh, he would seek, and that was to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. It's not the tabernacle. It's not the gold, 
the, the we woven fabrics, it's not the incense, it's not the altar per se, it's none of those things. It's not the physical uh, aspects of the tabernacle that David is saying, oh, if I could just go there. But it's all that the tabernacle represented. His focus was to remain upon the Lord. Sometimes astounding to me uh, that heaven, oftentimes you hear people speak of heaven and they speak about the streets of gold or they speak about all these splendid aspects that we think of heaven. It kind of leaves me scratching my head. You really want to just see golden streets? Is that it? Is that, <laughs> is that the best that heaven has? And of course you would say, well, of course not. What's, why is heaven such a glorious place? It's because it's where the Lord himself is. The Lord is our great reward himself. All the, the gold and streets and whatever you know, literature you've read about the splendors of heaven and all of these things, it would not be heaven were the Lord not there. And with the Lord anywhere is going to be heaven regardless of what color the streets are or what the streets are paved with. Because the Lord is our hope. The Lord is, is, uh, is our glory. And so he, David, desires not the structure itself, but as we've mentioned before, it is to be in the presence, the constant presence of the Lord, and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. This beauty of the Lord is a delightfulness, a favor, a pleasantness. It's a word used to describe here his desire. There's nothing more beautiful than the Lord, more delightful than the Lord. And consider this. This is the contrast. Here, enemies are nipping at his heels. This contrast of the darkness that the the enemies threaten. And here, this contrast goes against the loveliness and beauty, the grace and the goodness of the Lord. David desires to gaze upon the Lord's beauty and, uh, and glory as symbolized in the temple. When adversaries strike, what are you focusing your thoughts upon? Is it what the adversary does or is it who the Lord is? And what is it that you're going to, what's going to keep your mind staying there? Here David desired the temple with all its types and its shadows um, pointing him always to the Lord. I remember we were driving to northern Montana and I bring this up for John Harris. I don't think that there's ever been a time I've been more low than that. And that within 30 minutes my heart was lifted to rejoicing. We were driving and it was messy presbytery stuff back in the, the other church and and I just thought, to quote one of our other elders, John, uh, John Berber, I'd rather have an operation on my eye with a stick than go to this presbytery meeting. And I picked John up at his house, and we were driving along, and there was snow stuck on the mountains. And in characteristic John Harris fashion, who knows everything, uh, knows most everything about most everything, started talking to me about the snow on the mountain cap on the mountaintops as we saw them. I think it was the Absorcas. And he starts talking about the Lord. And do you know, we had not even arrived in Riverton yet before my heart, which was so despondent and so down and so heavy, I was rejoicing along with John uh, as we sat in the front seat of that car driving another 15, 
15 and a half hours to this presbytery meeting, my eyes were lifted to the Lord. Friends, that's the best way you can help people who are struggling in this world. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, you take their eyes off of the enemies nipping at their heels and you say, don't look there. Let's look here instead. That's what we see David doing. He's, he's turning away from those adversaries and he's looking at the Lord and his, he's, he's encouraged. He's rejoicing. He's remembering what the Lord has done and the great victories in the past and he is not falling into despair here. He looks upon the Lord with his mind, eye, and heart to meditate on or to inspect diligently the Lord's ways. Why? Why is this what he seeks uh, in the midst of his conflict? What do we normally do? We numb ourselves with entertainment. We numb ourselves with alcohol. We numb ourselves with uh, picking up some crazy novel to read. David, he beholds the Lord's beauty to meditate upon his ways. That's what David did. And why did he do it? Because, friends, that is where we are kept safe. And that is what causes us uh, to be aimed at praising the Lord. He writes in verses 5 and 6, For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Notice that it is David, as these enemies, those who are against him and after him, and oftentimes we feel so despairing uh, and so distraught that we feel as though we could quit. If we were to focus on these things, we would certainly, certainly, and surely fall. But he doesn't stay there. He desires the Lord in his ways and his word, and as he dwells in the constant presence of the Lord, he is like one who is a, is a favored guest in someone else's home who is protected. In a situation which would normally take an individual down ends up becoming um, a situation in which the person in the presence of the Lord results in being lifted up and offering sacrifices with shouts of joy singing praises to the Lord instead of being in deep despair. His deep sorrow is turned to joy. So verses 1 through 6 are triumphant. They are victorious. These are the reality of the child of God, of every Christian, of every bit. of, of we, We've gone through these things just as much as David uh, records and does. And we ought to approach our adversaries in the same way that David does. Those who pursue us after this manner by remembering and remaining focused upon the Lord, we are delivered out of this, this despair. And it is good for us to remember how much the Lord loves us and that he has, uh, how much he has done. And I would say even like Psalm 77 that we recount the past deliverances. Um, and I encourage people, our, our brother Will, you know, here he has been extended a call, and it was just a couple of months back that he's writing and saying, hey, will you keep me in prayer? Hey, we're, <laughs> we're starting this grand adventure, and, and how people came from the right and the left unexpectedly, and 
the Lord has paved a path. I would say that when things become difficult in the church setting, Will, you and Mariana sit down over coffee and you start rehearsing the Lord's many kindnesses to you in those ways. And I, and I think recounting the Lord's providence to us, remembering how he has blessed us, but not just our personal experiences, but recounting how the Lord has met his people in the scriptures. Because the same God who met Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace is the same God who hears our prayers and meets us where we need him. Those are good things for us to remember and, and to remind our children of. So we have this triumph. And it's what I love about the Psalms because the best theology is interacting with the realities of life. But David is no stoic. He is a man of tremendous feeling. And you get the sense here that there is great pain and there is great hurt. And here we see in verses 7 through 12 that he cries to the Lord. After rehearsing all of these things in the first six verses, he now in 7 through 12 uh, writes this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my mother and my, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence." This triumphant scene that we've just pictured in verses 1 through 6 is still to come. Meanwhile, there is little sign of God's favor or that uh, favor from anyone else at this point. He's just rehearsed all these things, but it's not happened yet. You see, you, we go through these things and we tell ourselves the truth and then we wait. We wait for deliverance. It doesn't come when you snap your fingers or when you say, please, Lord, now, can you make it go away? Can you fix it? It doesn't happen that way. But David steps out in faith and he rehearses who the Lord is. He rehearses how he deals with his enemies. He rehearses who he says. And here he cries. He cries to the Lord to be gracious to him. To be gracious to him and to answer him. Don't be silent. Hear me. The Lord has told David to seek my face. Again, he speaks of the Lord being his light. What did he seek? To behold the beauty of the Lord. Come to me. Seek me out. Seek the Lord's favor. He is gracious. Elsewhere, we are told in Psalm 105, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. This is what you do when pursued by enemies. You seek the Lord's face. You seek intimate fellowship with him. And this is what David does. My heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. The Lord has been David's salvation in past times. Lord, you have helped me in the past. Please Help me now, don't abandon me or forsake me. Why? For my father and my mother have forsaken me 
but the Lord will take me up. Scholars don't believe that this actually happened, that David's mother and father said, sorry, son, you're on your own. They don't believe this happened. Uh, They believe this is David speaking figuratively, as if to say, even if those who have the greatest love for you on earth, even if these people should abandon you, do you know what your hope is? That the Lord himself will never abandon you. That the Lord himself has greater love for you than your own mother has for you. And I can't think of a stronger love than a mother's love for her child. But the Lord's love is stronger still. This is David's confidence that the Lord's love is greater and more true than the love of his own parents. My friends, the temptation is is that when we're hurt and struggling with feelings of bitterness, that love grows cold and resentment comes up and vengeance and vindictiveness arises, opportunities for the devil to get a foothold um, in our flesh. But David, he will not... He will not go there. He will not bring empty praise to the Lord, but now he prays that his life too will reflect his trust in the Lord. Listen to what he says. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. He is a pilgrim, said Derek Kidner. He is a pilgrim committed, uh, who has committed his way, every step of it contested. He is very much in the world, and the prayer for a level path is not a prayer for comfort, but for sure progress. I love this, and I hate this, because you want to say, Oh Lord, just please make it go away and make me feel comfortable. Let me be at ease. But, but you know what the Lord is concerned with, friends, and why does he bring discipline into our lives? Why does he do it? It's for our good. It's for our growth, it's for our sanctification, for, for, for producing the fruits of righteousness in our lives. The Lord brings us into these things. Here, David's prayer is not for comfort, but for sure progress. Kidner says, as a moral term, it implies what is right or straight when the merest slip could be or would be exploited. He's not praying for comfort, but he's praying, Lord, Um, Teach me your way. Lead me in a level path. You think of that crazy walk up to the falls in Sinks Canyon. When I think that's what I would be praying for is a level path. You want a a path that's free from obstacles, from temptations, and, and, and a path that does not afford grounds for accusations. In my trial, Lord, teach me your way. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. My foes are on my heels. They will exploit any weakness, any failing that I have. Please give me a sure progress. Give me a level path that I might not fall and bring shame to you, that I might not hurt the kingdom in any way. They are out to devour his flesh, his enemies, and if he stumbles, they will take him down. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. 
to be pursued, to know that there are those who are waiting to exploit like beasts, waiting to take you down, is no way to live. Always looking over your shoulder, miserable, how do you move forward? And we find here David's confident expectation in verses 13 and 14. I would have despaired. It's a pressure. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. How do you move forward? How does one live when you know that you are being hounded by your enemies? They are out to get you. How do you not fall into utter despair? How do you encourage someone else? You understand, Christian, that you have seen the goodness of the Lord, the giving of his son, his many kind providences thus far in your lives. You count your blessings, and you, my friends, will see his goodness in the land of the living when he returns to bring us to glory. This confident expectation This confidence, I would have despaired, he says, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David's hope is again in the Lord. And so what's his final instruction? Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. That is, we wait in faith. We are patient in confident hope that the Lord will decisively act for the salvation of his people. And you wait in faith, and you continue to serve, and you continue to do the things the Lord has called you to do, and you continue to help each other by pointing each other back to the Lord and his many kindnesses, his many faithfulnesses throughout the years. Be patient uh, and confident hope that the Lord will decisively act for the salvation, your salvation, the salvation of his people. And so we keep looking. We hold to the Lord, and your strength is, is, is the Lord, and we are emboldened to stay the course. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 25, verse 3, Indeed, none of those who wait for you, that is, wait for the Lord, will be ashamed. My friends, there is no easy path forward for the Christian in this world. We are guaranteed to have troubles as the church and the Lord's people are guaranteed to have enemies in this world if we follow the Lord. And we heard that this morning again in Philippians. If we follow the Lord and if they hated the master, they will likewise hate his followers. What are you to do? Grow cold, shut down, uh, get busy into your own things. No, we remember and we remain focused on the Lord. We cry out to him in our pain, and then we wait. We wait patiently until he delivers. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for this psalm, and we thank you for our our older brother, David. We thank you, Father, for this record of of how he approached the adversaries, the who surrounded him and pursued him. We thank you for the instruction and for the reminder that you are a God who is faithful to his people. Father, we ask that we would be 
that we would grow in our abilities to help each other and to point each other back to you. We ask that you would bless us as we go from this place tonight. We pray that you will cause your word uh, to roll around in our hearts and our minds, that we would meditate upon these things, that we would inspect them diligently, that we would gaze upon you, and that we would be strengthened uh, for the weeks ahead. Thank you again for your love for us, and we praise your name now, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.